Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. Want to thank all of you for sharing out this podcast and doing reviews that helping us to grow pretty quickly. We're excited about all those who are joining our community and striving for more mission-driven lives. It's super exciting. I get to do something really wonderful today, and that is talk about another favorite person of mine, Ben Carson. You might know him because he ran for office a few years ago for presidential office and then pulled out um, and didn't follow through with that. But his understanding of government and economic principles was pretty impressive as he ran through that campaign. He even had wrote some books around that kind of thing. But I want to go back to the beginning and talk about why he's so representative of a truly mission-driven life. Not surprisingly, his story does not begin with him. It begins with his mom. And I love that it begins with his mom because we're mission-driven moms. And I I knew his story. We own the movie. I've, I've seen Gifted Hands several times. In fact, years ago, I read Gifted Hands and, you know, thought about him as a mission-driven person, someone that I'd like to talk about. But this time back through, I have to say I was even more blown away by his mom. I was really looking for her character traits and ways that she contributed in his life And it was really phenomenal um, what she overcame and what she accomplished from what she had been given. And really, Ben Carson stands on her shoulders and has been able to become the man he's become so much because she was who she was. Now, Sonia Carson, Ben Carson's mom, was born into a family of 23 children. I haven't been able to get to the bottom of this as to whether or not that's like a combined family situation or really they all came from one mother. I can't imagine that that would be the case, but however it was, they were just desperately poor and she was very unhappy there. She didn't talk much about it. She didn't say all the reasons. Later on as an adult, when when Ben was an adult, she admitted to him that her marriage at a young age was largely to escape her horrible home situation. And so she married at 13 years old, if you can imagine. And this was, I don't know, it would have been the 40s probably because Ben was growing up in the 50s and 60s. And um, her husband was 15 years older than her. He was 28 years old. So you can imagine, you know, what kind of start they had in life. Like so many people were doing them. Uh, then the, the jobs were in Detroit. And so they moved to Detroit. And Sonia, even at a young age, had a lot going for her. She was naturally intelligent and eager to learn. And she was very, very frugal all her life. And her frugality really paid off. Her husband was really a spender He loved to look good and he loved to have lots of friends. He was really social and, um, but she was very diligent about 
doing a lot of saving. And so eventually they were able to get a home. They had two boys, Ben and his older brother, Curtis. And, you know, things were going along. As the boys got a little bit older, it became clear that not really all was great between mom and dad. They did not fight in front of the kids. Instead, it was almost like a cold war. The boys would know that there was no talking because something was really wrong. Now, they were about eight and 10 when Sonia got the devastating news that her husband was a bigamist. Now, I don't know. I would imagine that she did not see this coming. Maybe he cheated on her. Maybe that was a thing. And so this was just an extension of that. I don't know. But he had a whole other family. And in fact, Ben has memories of going on long Sunday drives with his dad, which he really enjoyed. His dad was um, very affectionate. He wasn't home a lot, but when he was, he gave the boys attention and affection. And sometimes he'd give them gifts. And so Ben really loved his dad. And they would go on these long drives and visit this other family. And they suspect that that may very well have been his other family that he was going to see. So I don't know if the other wife knew. I don't know what was going on. But Sonia figured it out, found out that that was the case. And she, you know, called off the marriage. Now, he was a preacher. I don't know how long he was a preacher, but you can imagine, especially the fact that, you know, he had a different full-time job. Uh, I think maybe working in the car industry, I'm not sure, but he also was a preacher. So this was really quite a devastating blow. So, you know, Sonia's in her early 20s. She's got two boys and her husband is a bigamist and they've got to get a divorce. And it's the 50s. And so there's a lot of gossip around, um, around this situation. And in fact, she fell into a really, really deep depression. And she, in fact, on a, on a couple occasions was a little bit suicidal and she wanted to be there for her boys. She wanted to overcome this. And so she listened to kind of that inner voice that told her that she should seek help. And so she made arrangements for the boys to stay with friends. And she, you know, one of the things that Ben emphasizes about her is that even though their dad left and she was clear that she couldn't fix it, she did a few things really, really right. One of the things that she did really right was she never bad talked their dad to them. She let them continue to love him. She just told them he wasn't going to be around and there was no way to change that. And she was very careful what she said about their dad, especially in their hearing. And so she also, after he left, Ben said she did an incredible job of helping them to feel secure. She was very good at assuring them that things were going to be okay. She always told them that she believed in them and that everything was going to be okay. And he says, they were just so incredibly poor, but he never worried about where they were going to live and he never worried about having enough to eat, which was quite an accomplishment for a single poor black mother with no skills um, and no income and, and her husband wouldn't pay child support. And so it just kind of went from bad to worse. So she's in this situation and to make matters worse, she has almost no skills because she only has a third grade education. She hopped around in school a little bit. She could kind of a little bit barely read, but not really. 
and um, had only gone through the first few, few grades. And I don't know if she had worked to help provide for her family or what the situation was. And so she, she arranged for the boys to go live with uh, a friend for a little while. And they never suspected what was really going on. They knew that their mother was unhappy sometimes. They knew that she struggled and they tried to support her the best they knew how, but she just created a safe haven around them. She worked very, very hard to pay the bills and they had no idea until they were adults that when she left them for a ha- for a few weeks, she had checked herself into a mental hospital. In fact, over the first year to year and a half after the divorce, she did that a handful of times. Um, she ended up moving them to another city to live with a sister for a while so that she could continue to seek mental health, uh, help, help for her mental health. And the boys could be well cared for. She had an, um, an older sister. I mean, there were 23 of them. So this sister already had her kids raised and was able to be there for the boys and create an even greater sense of security. They were very, very poor. They lived in a very poor part of town, but uh, they were loved and they were taken care of. Now, when they were first divorced and she first checked herself into the mental hospital, of course, the neighbors found out. And this is what Ben Carson said about that time. Mother never let on how it hurt her, but her treatment in a mental hospital provided neighbors with a hot topic of gossip, perhaps even more because she had gone through a divorce. Both problems created serious stigmas at the time. Mother not only had to cope with providing a home and making a living to support us, but most of her friends disappeared when she needed them most. She said, I just decided that I had to go about my own business and ignore what people said. She did, but it couldn't have been easy. And so here's this woman who's determined to make it on her own, to take care of her boys and to get mentally well so that she can raise them herself. And so she's drawing upon the help that's available to her while she tries to care for her most important needs. And, um, a really incredible thing happened when she was in the, in the mental hospital, a woman named, um, Mary, who was a seventh day Adventist found her. Now, I don't know if Sonia already had a relationship with the seventh day Adventists or if she had, I think she had always kind of been a God fearing woman and kind of attended church and religion was part of their lives, but her true conversion really took place at this time. Um, Ben Carson says what happened here. Over a period of weeks, Mary went over the teachings of her church. And so I guess she was kind of helping Sonia better understand what the Seventh-day Adventists believed. So uh, Ben says, Mother slowly came to believe in a loving God who expresses that love through Jesus Christ. Day after day, Mary Thomas talked patiently with Mother, answering questions and listening to anything she wanted to say. Mother's third grade education prevented her from reading most of the Bible passages, but her visitor didn't give up. She stayed at it, reading everything aloud, and through that woman's influence, my mother began to study and read for herself. Now, this is absolutely phenomenal to me. Um, She has every reason to just give in, to get on welfare, to give up, to become depressed, to turn to drugs, to turn to alcohol, any number of things that people might have done in her circumstances. She's heartbroken. She's devastated. She's lonely. She's at the end of her rope. 
But this woman helps her understand for the first time in her life who God really is, who Jesus really can be to her, what he can mean to her, and how he can help her on this, you know, through this struggle. And she she takes it to heart. She's truly converted. She turns to God and she's very committed to living these new beliefs the very best that she can and to coming to know God better. And this part of the story is just so beautiful to me. Uh, Ben Carson goes on. Even though my mother could barely read, once she decided to learn through hours of practice, she taught herself to read well. Mother started to read the Bible, often sounding out the words, sometimes still not understanding, but she persisted. That was her determination at work. Eventually, she was able to read relatively sophisticated material. So because of her desire to live that first law of loving God, her desire to draw close to him, to understand him, to fill his power in her life, motivated her to teach herself to read at a, at a better level so that she could read the Bible, which turned into a lifestyle of self-education eventually. And she passed that on to her boys. And I'll tell you a few cool stories of the way that she raised them. And so even though this is the mission-driven story of Ben Carson as kind of the public figure, it's really the mission-driven story of his mom who set down um, kind of a pattern and an example for him to follow through the way that she lived her life. Um, She always believed in her boys. He tells a story about when he was eight and he really wanted to be a doctor. He had decided that through some religious experiences that he'd had in church. And he went to his mother and said, I know what I want to do. I want to be a doctor. Benny, she said, listen to me. We stopped walking and mother stared into my eyes. Then laying her hands on my thin shoulder, she said, if you ask the Lord for something and believe he will do it, then it will happen. I believe I can be a doctor. Then Benny, you will be a doctor, she said matter-of-factly, and we started to walk on again. Uh, Actually, I think this was when he was a little bit older, maybe about um, 10-ish, that he really decided that that's what he wanted. And through her own really deep conversion, she had learned to lean on God, and he had helped her to climb out of her depression and to gain a handle on her life again. It meant that she had to work really, really hard. She almost always worked two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And this is something else that I really respect and love about her that I really felt was amazing. And that is that she saw what happened to people who got onto welfare. She was surrounded by it. She saw that they gave up. They turned to drugs and alcohol. They became dependent. They didn't claim their own power. They didn't climb out of poverty. They didn't set a good example for their children. Um, And she didn't want that. She was determined to be self-reliant. And so she was unbelievably frugal and hardworking. And, And Ben Carson talks often about the fact that she had little time for the boys, but what time she did have, she just lavished on them. That no matter how tired she was, she asked them about their day, followed up with their studies, made sure they were doing well. And she always made sure that they were cared for. And so she was determined to climb back out of poverty. And so early on, I don't know, maybe less than a year or so, when she decided to move away and, and be with her sister and get, get more mental help for herself, 
She also it also had become clear that even though she had won the house, they had a little thousand square foot home and she'd won it in the divorce, but she couldn't afford to, to keep her family there. And so she decided the best thing to do was to rent it out and to use that rent as part of her income and then to make the rest of the income herself. But of course, she's a third grade education. She has almost no skills. So the only thing she can really do is like cleaning and childcare, which just doesn't pay great. And so she had to carry multiple jobs all during the boys growing up years. But she, you know, Ben doesn't remember her complaining. She just kept to herself like she did when the neighbors were gossiping about her, like she did when her husband betrayed her. I mean, they didn't, she didn't even tell the boys that he had another family. She just said he has to go. I mean, it's just like she wanted them to still love their dad and, and all of that kind of stuff. They didn't have a lot of contact with him, but, oh, just, she's just so phenomenal. So, um, She had, this is what Ben Carson says about her at this time. Mother had one goal in mind. She planned to go back and reclaim the house we'd lived in. Boys, she told us as the weeks and months passed, just wait. We're going back to our house on Deacon Street. We may not be able to afford living in it now, but we'll make it. In the meantime, we can use the rent we get from it. Not a day passed that mother didn't talk about going home. Determination burned in her eyes, and I never doubted that we would. So phenomenal. (laughs) She is just, she really doesn't have any reason to believe that that's even possible. Like, she's just one woman, and she's trying to provide for three with almost no skills, and she just puts away her pennies day after day. I mean, can you just imagine what that must have been like and felt like for her dragging herself out of bed early in the morning, going to more physically and emotionally demanding jobs where she spends most of her time around wealthy people. And then she comes home to her rat infested apartment in the poor side of town and just tries to feed her boys. It's just unbelievable what she did. Another thing that I really loved about her that I thought was so admirable. She worked these two or three jobs at a time and she was especially interested in people because most of the time she worked for the wealthy. Now, this is another really incredible character trait that she had. Ben Carson said about her, she'd come home and tell us, this is what wealthy people do. This is how successful people behave. Here's how they think. She constantly drilled this kind of information into my brother and me. Now you boys can do it too, she'd say with a smile, adding, and you can do it better. And I just like, you know, that's another thing. She could have been totally jealous, right? And she could have just been like, um, oh, they're such jerks and they just, they have so much money and they won't pay me better. And she could have complained and she could have been negative, but instead she learned from them and she asked herself, okay, what are they doing that we're not doing? How do they think that we don't think? And she tried to begin to model that in her home and to, to pass that on to her boys. And they did both become incredibly successful and wealthy. I mean, now, you know, Ben Carson has has a position in in national in the United States national government and had this unbelievable successful neurosurgery career where he, where he broke ground you know in in brain surgery so just unbelievable what she was able to pull off and make them believe about themselves so 
This is all the stuff that's going on with Sonia as she's raising these boys. And in the meantime, they had done okay in their schools. And then eventually they were able to move back into their house. And even though it was small, it was in a nicer side of town and people took, you know, people owned their homes. And so they took pride in them. And that meant that the boys were put into predominantly white schools and they, the schools that they had been at did not keep them kind of up to par. And so when they landed in these schools in their early teen years, they were really behind and so Ben just fell to the very bottom of his class at every subject. And he was continually just mortified by his classmates because they just made all kinds of fun of him. He would get like one or two answers right on a 30 question math test. He just didn't have any idea what he was doing and he couldn't understand it because he'd done well in his past school. So he just kind of started to believe that he was dumb. Well, of course, Sonia wouldn't have that and she wouldn't believe it. And so when she finally started to understand what was happening. She, <laughs> she got involved like she always did. So the first really great thing that happened was that he had an eye exam at school and he realized, in fact, the doctor said to him when he got his pair of glasses that he was almost to the point of being declared like legally blind or something. I don't know. His eyesight was horrible. And he, I don't know why he didn't say anything, but he was never able to read the board in the back of the class. So he didn't know what was going on. And, um, and so that started to help him improve his grades a little. At least he kind of knew what was going on. He could take notes. And so he was he was able to finally bring home a D on his report card. And so he's really kind of proud of himself that he's made this improvement in math. And his mom's like, well, sure, that's an improvement, but you can't settle for just barely passing, Benny. She says, you're too smart to do that. You can make the top math grade in the class. I'm trying, I said, I'm doing the best I can, but you can still do better and I'm going to help you. And so he says, her eyes sparkled. I should have known that she had already started formulating a plan. So this was her plan. First thing you're going to do is memorize your times tables. But mother, I can't, you can do it, Benny. Besides, and here came her final shot. You're not going to go outside and play after school tomorrow until you've learned those times tables. And so, and you know, it's really cool. Ben Carson says um, often how much they loved their mother and they didn't even think about disobeying her because um, she says, it did, he says, it didn't occur to either of us to disobey the reason we respected her. We knew she meant business and knew we'd better mind, but most important, we loved her. They had a sense of what she was sacrificing for them and how hard things were on her. And so they, they just obeyed her. So he didn't go outside and play for a few weeks until he had his times tables memorized. Maybe it was less time than that. And so then his grades began to improve enough through his new glasses and through knowing the times tables that he started to gain more confidence. But then a huge shift came when mom applied a new rule. So one day the boys are sitting there after school, after dinner, watching TV again, and she walks over to the television set and shuts it off. She says, I've decided you boys are watching too much television. From now on, you boys can watch no more than three programs a week. You're going to go to the library and check out books. You're going to read at least two books every week. At the end of each week, you'll give me a report on what you've read. 
Now, of course, they were totally overwhelmed. And Ben said that he had never read a book cover to cover in his life when she told him that they were going to do that. But one of the things that she had noticed in the homes of the wealthy was the books that they had on their shelves. Some of them had large libraries and some of the wealthiest had read so much. And it just it just became clear to her as she looked around. I mean, she was just very aware. She was very intentional. She didn't have the education herself. She didn't have the time and the ability to, to gain all of that for herself. She slowly taught herself to read so she could read the Bible and eventually read better and better quality works. But she's trying to sculpt a new future for her boys. And she's learning instead of being resentful, angry, turned off, she's totally teachable. And she's trying to figure out how these wealthy people are doing it. And what's the difference between them and all the other people that she spends time with? And she's trying to emulate their example. And it makes all the difference in the world. So then they go to the library, they start to like it. Uh, Ben loves science. He starts checking out all these science books. His teacher recognizes that he's starting to learn a lot about science. His teacher at school encourages him. The librarians encourage him. He's learning all these things that are really fascinating to him and his grades climb and climb and climb. And eventually these boys really are the first in their classes. And that continues on, except for one um, kind of dark period in Ben's high school career that continued on all the way through high school and college. They became very, very brilliant through their ability to read and comprehend. Ben talks about how it helped their reading comprehension. It helped their vocabulary. The the broad knowledge that they were gaining meant that they got to the point where they were coming into classes knowing more than, than the minimum of what was expected. And so their confidence soared and it just made all the difference in the world. And it was just, just this unbelievably incredible um, life-changing experience for them and just such a tribute to this incredible mom. So to kind of finish out their story, you can see where the love of God was very strong in their family. They had spiritual experiences. The boys did when they were younger and were baptized. And Ben Carson had another really deep spiritual experience at 14 and asked to be rebaptized to reconfirm his faith in Jesus and was a faithful follower of God and and the Seventh-day Adventist religious practices all of his life still today talks about it frequently. Had all, and, and the book is chock full of really incredible miracles that happened in Carson's life that that really rooted him deeply in his relationship with God. You can see, of course, that she, they, she taught her sons to take good care of themselves, to love themselves, to believe in themselves, to know that they could do things, they could do hard things. Sonia tried to take care of herself and love herself the best that she could. She studied scripture and expanded her mind and was teachable. And of course, the third law of loving truth, she was totally a truth seeker. She was trying to figure out what were the truths and principles that people were living that helped pull them out of poverty. And she embraced truth where she found it, whether it was in her religious beliefs and turning to God and submitting to him and letting him guide her life, whether it was the care she took of her boys and her relationships with others. And of course, putting her home in better and better order over time, you know, that they just were, in fact, Ben, Ben talks about how a little while after their dad left, he realized, he said for a long time, he prayed that his parents would get back together until he finally realized that they were happier without his dad, that their mom created so much security and, and created such a, such a harmonious, loving environment in the home that they were all very happy without him there, unfortunately. 
for him. But anyway, just, just incredible. And then of course, this love of humanity, this opening up the world to her boys. And she was along for the ride too. She would have them read things to her where possible. She followed their, their educations, you know, as close as she possibly could and was a huge part of what they were doing academically. And of course, as we know, taught herself to read better so she could read the Bible and other great works and expanded the vision of the whole family. I mean, they, the whole family have worldwide impact at this point. I mean, you know, I, I, reading through this again, and he talks about how his older brother Curtis was an incredible brother and the kind of influence that he had on him and the kind of example that he was to Ben. It's so much like the 10 booms in terms of it being really a family life mission. They have their own individual accomplishments and their own individual paths but the kinds of things that they accomplished because of their family and their family culture is really, really phenomenal. So I want to tell you um, a couple more things, give you a couple more awesome quotes um, before we finish up about Ben Carson, uh, particularly himself. He had another really life-changing experience at about probably 15-ish. He had always had a temper and it was growing worse. And he would went he he didn't get angry easily, but when his anger was peaked, he was very violent. And he had already caused damage to several people. He he didn't realize he had his his locker um, lock in his hand when he hit a kid, but he did and he did damage. You know, cut his face wide open, threw a really heavy rock at a boy, broke his glasses, broke the kid's nose. He had had these interactions and, and finally he, he lost track. He went to a high school where he wasn't considered cool because they were really poor and all the cool kids wore the right clothes and all this kind of stuff. And he spent some time in the book talking about how tempting that was to him and how he really wanted that stuff and how he put so much pressure on his mom and she eventually tried to get him some of those clothes. But at one point they had, um, they kind of came head to head and she kept trying to influence him to do better and be better. And he almost struck her. Curtis had to stop him from hitting his own mom. And so that was a bit of a wake up call. But then not long after, he got in an argument with one of his best friends over a radio station on the radio that they were listening to. And he grabbed a knife that he had in his back pocket and jabbed it in the stomach of his friend. But to his eternal luck, the blade broke on the boy's ROTC big metal belt buckle and saved the boy's life and saved Ben Carson's life, really. And so he ran straight home terrified of himself. And he said um, he didn't know what to do. He ran straight home. Luckily, the house was empty. He ran straight into the bathroom and he just, for two hours, he just was sweating and pacing and thinking and talking out loud about how, how he couldn't control this temper and he'd almost killed his best friend and he knew he could never be a doctor and he could never fulfill his dreams if he didn't get control of this anger. He said, um, I could, I could, I could do nothing about the rage that burned inside me. I felt sick to my stomach, disgusted with myself and ashamed. I hated myself, but I couldn't help myself. So I hated myself even more. And then from somewhere deep inside my mind came a strong impression. Pray. Now in that small hot bathroom, I knew the truth. I could not handle my temper alone. So I turned to God. Lord, I whispered. 
You have to take this temper from me. If you don't, I'll never be free from it. I'll end up doing things a lot worse than trying to stab one of my best friends. Tears streamed down my face. Lord, despite what all the experts tell me, you can change me. You can free me forever from this destructive personality trait. During those hours alone in the bathroom, something happened to me. God heard my deep cries of anguish. A feeling of lightness flowed over me and I knew a change of heart had taken place. I felt different. I was different. I walked out of the bathroom a changed man. My temper will never control me again, I told myself. Never again. I'm free. During those hours in the bathroom, I also came to realize that if people could make me angry, they could control me. So why should I give someone else such power over my life? And he says at the writing of that book, and I do think it's true about the rest of his life, he has never had another aggressive episode like that. And his anger has never controlled him. God just changed his heart. He said, I just, I, I came to know God's incredible power that day to absolutely change us when we're willing to let him change our character. And I do really believe that there are certain things that we can't overcome without God. And those things are there intentionally so that we will be forced in a position to turn to God and have him help us change who we really are. He tells some other incredible experiences about when he was in college, the first semester he was failing his chemistry class. He would be kicked out of the pre-med program if he didn't pass the test. He realized he didn't really know how to study, even though he'd done really well in high school and gotten into Yale. And so he prayed really hard and he just basically asked God to forgive him for not preparing properly and, and that he, you know, asked God to help him. He did his best to study last minute and then got some sleep. But while he dreamed, he had a dream of someone writing problems and solutions up on a chalkboard. And when he awoke, they were all clear in his mind. And he quickly wrote them down and went to the test. And every problem on that test had been shown to him with the solution in that dream. And he had lost a few of the problems near the end of the test but he was awarded an incredible grade and was able to pass that chemistry class and go on. And he tells other miraculous experiences. He had one much like an experience I had on the road when the wheel got jerked and we spun around on the freeway and landed on the side of the road facing forward. A similar experience happened to him when he fell asleep at the wheel and his life was miraculously preserved. He talks often about how he knows that we have a calling, um, He says, I believe that God has an overall plan for people's lives and the details get worked out along the way, even though we usually have no idea what's going on. But when we turn our life over to him, he has a plan for us. He also talked about somewhere during that time period, I became acutely aware of an unusual ability, a divine gift. I believe of extraordinary eye and hand coordination. It's my belief that God gives us all gifts, special abilities that we have the privilege to develop to help us serve him and humanity. And he says his particular gift that he went on to then develop and hone was his eye hand coordination. His hands never shook in surgery and he was able to perform incredibly well because of this particular gift He went on to discover that neurosurgery was really where his heart was and where his calling, he felt his calling was. And of course, he did the first successful surgery 
where two Siamese twins that were joined at the at the brain were joined in their heads that they were split apart and both of them so he was able to save both of their lives he gathered a whole team they practiced for months and and they executed this successfully he also did other groundbreaking surgeries that helped this the science of neurosurgery move forward and help other people um to do surgeries that save lives and stop seizures and all kinds of incredible things and and was in that incredible career for a long time and then had more and more public recognition until finally he decided to run for office he's written several books uh think big is another one he's written some like i was saying i can't remember what they're called but around kind of government the proper role of government that kind of stuff but of course you know worldwide impact people know who he is he went on 20 years later to write this book gifted hands in order to encourage youth especially minority youth, especially poor youth, that they could pull themselves out of the situations. They didn't have to be products of the system. They didn't have to be products of their upbringing. They could become anything. And he wanted to show them that through God's help and through their own hard work and through adherence to certain principles, a handful of times he actually mentioned specific principles that he, but that he lived, that he believes people should live um, in order to succeed. He wanted to encourage youth to rise out of their circumstances and to become more than they were. It's just really, really incredibly inspiring. You can see these seven laws at work in their lives. There was a lot of hard work when he heard the call, you know, 11 more years of study and practice. And, and then he was given many opportunities to do things. And when the call of neurosurgery was done, he felt different calls in the community to do other things. They made a movie out of his book. And so, just an incredible man, also an incredible brother, also an absolutely incredible mom. So I just am so glad I got to share this with you today. I hope that it was as inspiring to you as it has been to me. You can check the podcast page on the website for some of these inspirational quotes about his mom and from Ben Carson himself and um, a link to the book that the gifted hands that I've used today. But please learn more about them. Please at least watch the movie Gifted Hands with your children and talk about your own family culture and talk about better principles that you could implement and talk about the way that he lived his life and how we can follow the example of the Carsons because they're absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you don't have your free copy of The Mission Driven Life, please head to themissiondrivenmom.com and grab that. And you can also, we would love for you to become part of our Facebook community at the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group. Just request to join and we will let you in. Thanks for joining me today and I'll see you next time.